sometime around February. Um, have I turned this on? Is yeah. this on? Is it, am, I, am I on? It doesn't sound very strong at all. That's much better. Great, thank you. Yeah, I, I was in Christchurch. Uh, not Christchurch Forward, but Christchurch New Zealand. And uh, we were on six weeks holiday there. It was brilliant, it was lovely. And my wife, Heather, had some relations in Christchurch. And we visited them and they said, we want to show you our city. And I tell you, it was probably one of the most emotional and disturbing days that I have ever had in my life. Because I don't know if you know, but Christchurch is a city that was devastated by an earthquake. There are still 10,000 people not living in their own homes in Christchurch. They are paying the mortgage on the house that was wrecked and they're paying rent on the house that they're now living in. The centre of the city is full of areas of complete devastation. The shops are containers, as you would see on the back of a train or a lorry, with the ends cut out. Uh, They are glass doors, and you go in through the end of the container, and all the shops, like CNA and all the rest of them, uh, are in shops like that. They're piled high with... with, That's all there is. As we drove around one part of the city, my wife's cousin said, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Because it was there that rocks came just tumbling down and took houses and 70 people with it. And I walked into the middle of Christchurch with all of its buildings propped up by various bits of girder and stuff that was there just to hold all these buildings up. There was a big crane demolishing like a piece of Meccano, the Holiday Inn taking apart bolt by bolt and dropping bits of metal onto the ground. Uh, And right in the middle of Christchurch, I met two young men with clipboards. One of them came straight up to Heather and I, and he said, "Um, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Uh, And I was kind of taken aback, and he sort of said, oh, I see you doubt. Uh, only because I, I was just completely, I'm not doubting that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I was just taken aback by his full frontal approach straight at me. And I said, yes, I am. I trust Jesus. I'm a minister of the gospel. And we had this lovely conversation. And you know the two lines that he said to me that I'll never, ever forget as long as I live? He said to me this. He said, earthquakes aren't selective. And I said, will you explain that to me? He said, yeah. He said, there were 200 plus people killed here in in a minute. A whole radio station building collapsed because some architect had decided to take shortcuts and as a result killed 70 people. And and there were all sorts of things around. The tram lines where the lovely trams of Christchurch used to run were kinked so they can't run them. Earthquakes aren't selective. Little children died that day. Teenagers died that day. Mums and dads died that day. Pensioners died that day. And the other thing he said to me was this. This event has made people think about heaven. And I said, will you tell me a little bit more about that? He said, yeah, we found that as a result of that, Many, many more people who wouldn't have darkened the doors of church in in a month of years were asking questions about what it truly was 
and where heaven was and, and what was it about and, and give me some purpose because this earthquake uh, and they get 11,000 earthquakes a year some of them you can't measure but every now and again you'll be sat in a room and your coffee will start wobbling and I can't repeat to you on tape or anywhere what they say at that point but it's essentially go away you can translate it into New Zealand parlance uh, and they're, they're terrified that that might become something that then starts shaking the whole building. My, my wife's cousin went upstairs to a screaming eight-year-old whose wardrobe had fallen behind the door. And he couldn't get to her. He could not get up the stairs because they were moving so much. That's what earthquakes are like. And as you probably gathered from the way I've described it to you, just being there and amongst all that stuff made a profound effect. I'm not afraid to admit that Heather and I went back to our room, our hotel room, and wept that night at the suffering that we had seen that day amongst people. But it made people think of heaven. And my friends, quite, quite simply this this morning, I don't want to say perhaps as much as I've said on other days, but, but I want you to realize that, that every single one of us will die. Now, you may think that's one of the most obvious things I've ever heard. I spend my life burying and cremating people, not personally, but I get others to do that. Um, but I'm responsible for it. And death is final. When I saw my father laid out on his bed, I, I couldn't speak to him. He died. And depending on what he'd done in this life, he will either be with Christ forever, heaven, or he will not be with Christ forever. That's hell. The Bible's very clear about it. Uh, and so if, to return to the context of Revelation... Uh, we're looking at what we've done so far. We've had that beautiful vision of Christ in chapter 1. We, we've had God's view of the church, of us, his people, uh, in, in chapters 2 and 3. I hope you read those, and Joe's very helpfully doing that in the evenings as he goes through those overcomes at the end of the letters. Keep thinking about that. What, what's John's next response? Well, it's in chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, have them open with me, please, this morning. Um, because of the one thing that Christians needed in Christchurch, and those two young men with their clipboards exemplified this to me, was hope. Here in the midst of this awful devastation, and I, if you take me on one side, I'll give you half an hour on what I saw in Christchurch. The devastation was awful. The one thing people needed there was hope. And Christians, bless them, were doing a lot of this work. And I'm now in touch with, through my diocese, the Diocese of Christchurch, and where the cathedral is no longer there, it's been demolished, and we're trying to help as much as we can. But the one thing people needed was hope. And how did John give them hope? Chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open. Now... You are all going to end up somewhere. If you've trusted Christ as your Saviour, you know Jesus as your Lord, and you've submitted your life in faith to him, you will be where John is seeing right now. If you're sat there saying heaven's a dream, heaven's some sort of human construct, heaven's a kind of, you know, a sort of ethereal thing stuck away somewhere, 
uh, then, then you're denying what God's word is saying to you right here. And John is given here a glimpse of heaven. Why? Because up against all we've been describing, the persecution of Domitian and all that stuff, the one thing Christians needed to know was that they knew where they were going. Do you? Do you know where you're going? When I mention heaven, do you say, yes, can't wait, brilliant, love it, fantastic. Or do you say, oh, not again. Don't want to hear that stuff anymore. Not sure it's true. Can I humbly suggest to you that if that's your attitude, it may be that you've never really committed your life to Christ. Because a true believer in Christ can't wait. Because there is our hope. So, he's taken there... And what does he see in his glimpse of heaven? Well, the first thing he does is to hear something. He hears a voice. Verse 1, look at it with me. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet. He hears this first voice. It has a sound of a trumpet. It is, as it were, a voice of authority. A trumpet is an authoritative instrument. You think that? That's, that's something important. That's a trumpet sound. It's got authority. And he hears that voice. One commentator I read said this, it's rather lovely this, I hope you know the place and you can put this in context. He said it's a bit like being summoned to the cabinet war rooms, they're just off Whitehall, just where they held the beach volleyball, just around the corner. And, And right there is the cabinet war rooms and during the Second World War everything that could be known was known in that room. Everybody knew in that room what was happening everywhere. That was the ultimate authority, that was the nerve centre. And, and what, what's happening here is that John is, is exposed to the very centre, in, in a sense, of the universe, of creation, of the whole created order. He's taken up into heaven. Come up here, verse 1 says at the end, and I will show you what must take place. We are invited here, my friends, into the very presence of God. Now, you may have different views about what heaven is. But you must realise that this world of ours will come to an end. History is not circular. John Stott argues this brilliantly in a couple of commentaries I've read of his. History doesn't just go round and 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 keep on going. No, history had a beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And God said, let there be. God's voice. He spoke, and it was good. And in the end, there is going to be an end. The Lord is going to come back. He's going to return. There's more about the return of the Lord than there is about the birth in Bethlehem. Much more in the Bible. There's going to be an end. The Bible teaches us in 1 Thessalonians and many other places that that end will be like that. Blink of an eye. Did you see my eyes blink? they did and you're not going to be able to negotiate you're not going to be able to say hang on God just a minute could I just have a word you know would you mind could I just talk a little bit would you mind if I just talk to you I know I got it wrong would you would you depending on what you've done on this planet and how you've responded now in the in the face of persecution of course there's nothing better there's nothing more wonderful 
somebody saying to you, come on, I'll show you where you're going. If you happen to die today, I'll show you what it's going to be like. And at once, John says in verse 2, I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne. A wonderful throne. Quite a sight. Quite a sight. Let's have a look at it. See what it looks like. At once I was there and someone was sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald, encircled the throne. Now, this is not a new vision. This throne of God idea uh, has been, if you take the trouble to study your Bibles, and I know some of you do, you can take this back into Isaiah, you can take this back into Ezekiel, you can find this in Daniel. You You can find it everywhere. And he saw this very throne of heaven, like having a dream and waking up in Buck Palace. And and there you are in the presence of the Queen. Wow! What is that about? You can pay 18 quid by and do that if you want to. Now, he doesn't have to force his way in there. He is simply taken there by the Spirit. And he comes to the very throne of God. Jasper, Carnelian, Rainbow. What's all that about? Well, it's... It's a kind of description of brilliance. Don't read. The danger, let's just pause a minute. The danger of Revelation is that you try and interpret every single detail. That's not the apocalyptic style. That's not how it was written. So don't push it. Don't say the rainbow is this, the carnival is this, and the animal is this, and the diamonds, and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't get you anywhere. What it's trying to convey to you is this wonderful picture. It's almost a kind of lost-for-words description. Now, have you ever been there? Let me tell you a story. When uh, I I went on a trip once with a friend of mine, when I was much, much younger, long before I was married, and we hired this minivan, and we went around Europe in this minivan. It's great. It was real DOS. Uh, Absolute fantastic time we had. But one night, we were in a place called Grindelwald, which is in Switzerland, in the Bernese Oberland. Beautiful mountains, lovely things. And we had this tent, which was like a sieve. We didn't know it was until that night. And uh, we, we were camping, and this tent just leaked and leaked and leaked, and it rained and rained and rained. And uh, we, we just said, look, let's, Roger and I just said, get out of here. Let's get in the van and, uh, you know, just sit here all night until it's dried out. So we did. And we sat in Grindelwald, which is right in the base of a valley, And as we sat there, the sun came up on the north face, think about it, of the Eiger. And the cloud lifted, and the Eiger went orange. And Roger and I just sat there and went, wow, look at that. Isn't that amazingly beautiful? This is John. My friends, we are all going to have to face this in our lives. And we are here in the very presence of God. And John is almost lost for words. All he can say is it's precious, it's beautiful, it's a rainbow, it's a symbol of God's presence. It's, it's terrific, it's gorgeous, it's, oh, it's so amazing. My friends, if you're a Christian, you're going to be there. You're going to be at the throne of heaven. You're going to meet the Lord. I can see that one or two of you are marginally excited, but you don't have to show it. I can't wait. I cannot wait to meet my Jesus, my Saviour, the one I adore. Is that how you feel this morning?
I can't wait as I see this picture of heaven. He's lost for words. But there were others there as well. We need to just have a look at those, don't we? Uh, Surrounding the throne, verse 4, were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Now, who were they? Well, almost certainly 24 Numbers problem again. Let me try and unwrap that a bit for you. Uh, Some people say it's 12 apostles and 12 tribes. In other words, it's all of God's people that have ever been saved. It's a kind of picture, a complete picture, doubly complete. 12 apostles, 12 tribes, we get that in the Bible. So 24 is doubly complete. All of God's people are gathered around on these thrones, sat around God in the center. And they're in white white why do we wear white on our wedding day ladies I hope it's because we're pure and if you're not God is gracious and forgiving but white means purity and that means God's people sat around God's throne because of God's saving act on the cross has washed away our sin. Who can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the old hymn said. And we are crowned, it says as well. What does that mean? It means we're reigning with Christ. We're sat in this heavenly throne room and we reign with Christ. We sit with the King and we reign as princes and princesses in the throne room of God. This is a really important house party, I think, for some of you here. I think it's important quite simply because of this. This could be, and I don't want to be melodramatic about this, it could be the last opportunity that you get to say to Jesus Christ, I repent of my sin, I'm sorry for being an arrogant person who thinks I can do life my own way, I bow the knee to you. I acknowledge you as Lord and Saviour. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to become a Christian. If you are not a Christian here this morning, and you know if you are and if you're not, will you talk to your group leader? Come and talk to me. I will not bite your head off. I will not chew you up. I will do anything I can to help you understand what it truly means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because I want to see you there. Around the throne. Worshipping the God who made you. The God who loves you. The God who has purposes for you. And this is a throne of judgment, verses 5 and 6. Look at it with me. Um, there's quite simply here lightning, there's all sorts of other things, there's thunder, there's voices. This is almighty God, powerful God, and with all his power, the God who came to deliver his people. People who have sinned, when they meet the God of justice and judgment, uh, he will deal with them. I don't know if you get worried, do you, sometimes about the, uh, the wicked people of this world, the Saddam Husseins, the Pol Pots, the uh, Adolf Hitlers, the whatevers, you know, the people that you know have done terrible wickedness. Do you get excited about it? Do you get worried about it? Can I be absolutely honest with you? I don't. 
And I'll tell you why not. Yes, I abhor their violence. I abhor their dirty deeds. I abhor the fact that Saddam Hussein gassed people in the marsh area at the bottom, in the area where Abraham came from, Ur of the Chaldees. He gassed people. Saddam Hussein faced his maker. He was there. He had to face the judgment of God. I'm happy with that. Let God deal with him with perfect justice, with perfect equity, and perfect... He couldn't get it wrong. Adolf Hitler was similarly dealt with. And anybody who's hurt you, anybody who's stitched you up, anybody who's been disloyal to you, anybody who's done anything nasty to you, any parent who's left you, Anybody who's done anything that's wicked, anybody who's done anything that's evil, nasty, rotten and horrible, will be dealt with by the living God in a just and fair way. And if that person can claim that their sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, they will be forgiven and enter the kingdom of God for eternity. That's the criteria. And I can rest, my friends. I don't have to hold grudges. I don't have to have a go at somebody. I don't have to get back at somebody. I don't have to send someone a dirty text because someone sent me a dirty text and stitched me up. I don't have to get back at people. I don't have to be rotten to people. I can leave it to a sovereign, a gracious, and a just God. And here we have these people around the throne. And that is a throne of judgment, as I say, and, and that is how it's going to be. And how comforting it must have been to a first century believer, mustn't it? To know the guy who put me in that arena, the guy who, hung, who put me to death, the guy who stitched me up and, and made it clear to the authorities that I was a Christian, the guy who did all those things to me, he's going to have to face an eternity. He's going to have to face the living God who judges all. And if someone can simply say, your sin is covered. There's a lovely psalm. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered, to whom the Lord cannot impute iniquity. Old words, but good words. And it's as if God just covers by his blood all the sin that I've ever committed. I've done some horrible things to people. I'm not proud of many aspects of my life. I've been cruel to people. I used to be very cruel to Gareth when I worked with him for some of the time. Some of the time I was all right, but some of the time I wasn't. And there have been times when I thought, I wish I hadn't done that, when I wish I hadn't said things to my wife that I've said, and thought, Dave, why did you say that, you idiot? And all that stuff that we do, don't we? Oh, isn't forgiveness amazing? Isn't forgiveness amazing? When God simply says, it's okay. And around the throne, there are living creatures. Look at it with me, verses 6 to 8. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. They guard the throne. They represent the whole of creation. Look at them. 
they were, they were covered. Uh, the first living creature, verse 7, was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each had four living creatures. Here is the whole of creation gathered around the throne. And what are they doing? They are doing something that some of us find very difficult, and that is worship. Now, let me just talk about this for a minute. I, I've moved around in lots of sort of different Christian circles in my time. And uh, I've seen lots of different forms of worship. I've seen people who do this. I've seen people who do that. I've seen people who do this. I've seen people who do that. I've seen it all. I've seen a lot. It's not what it's about, guys. It's about the heart. It's about what goes on. It's about the whole of our lives. The whole of our lives is saying to God, you are worthy. I will work hard at school. I will work hard at college in order to worship you. The whole of my life will be a song of worship to you. But every now and again, I think we need to learn how to express our worship. Let me tell you how I do it. And you may not like this, um, but if you don't, I'll probably get thrown out of here today and I can go home and enjoy you know, all the good things of home. But I'm going to give it a go. I, I try every day at some point to say something which says how brilliant God is. God, you're amazing. God, you're brilliant. God, you're worthy. God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. God, thank you that you've promised to love me forever and ever and ever. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you find it difficult, go to somewhere like the Psalms. I just flipped, just before I came up here, I flipped over to, to one particular psalm which I particularly love. And, and I, just, I just read it. And it was just wonderful just to sort of look at it. Psalm 104, if you want to look at it. Oh Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself with light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on the waters. Give thanks to the Lord. Next Psalm, 105, for he is good. How is your worship? Because of the throne, God is in control. He wants to worship. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to say, as happened here, look at it. Day and night, they never stop saying, as we were singing just now, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, today, if you get a moment in amongst all this kind of noise and bustle of house party and what's going on, just crawl away somewhere, go in a little hole, and say, God, you are holy. Just say to him, holy, holy is the Lord God. Thank you, Lord. And I think Christians lack this sense of worship and awe at who God is and what he is. And we, we, because we're British, you know, we don't say this kind of stuff, do we? You know, we've had it all night with this guy with a funny hat on his head up here, haven't we? You know, this, this sort of stiff upper British stuff, you know, we don't do it, do we? I'm encouraging you to be a bit more open and say, God, you are amazing. I worship you. I bow before the throne. And, and when the living creatures give glory, verse 9, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders all bow down. Now, you may not feel you can do that, but whatever, they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power. 
I was recently on the Isle of Wight. I get around, you know, New Zealand, Isle of Wight. I travel, man, I do. And we went to Osborne House, which is where Queen Victoria used to go. And there was a quote there that I saw that I'll, I think I'll use it quite a lot, actually. Do you know what Queen Victoria says, said once? She said this, I hope the Lord returns before I die, because I can lay my crown at his feet. Isn't that amazing? I hope the Lord returns before I die so that I can lay my crown at his feet. And I want, you, I want to encourage you this morning to worship, to be worshipping Christians, not just when we sing songs together, but when we go through all the things that we do in places like this and in other places, but to make your life a life of worship. Some people find it helpful to stick a CD on and sing along with it when they're in the car. We, we become people. My little grandson, I'll tell you, this will make you go, oh, will probably make you sick, actually, but there we go. Um, little Toby, he has a, an uncle called Uncle Andy, who is quite famous in terms of singing songs in public places, is my uh, middle, youngest son. And Uncle Andy has a CD with lots of songs on it. And one of the most moving things in my life is to see a little Toby at three and a half try to sing Blessed Assurance along with his Uncle Andy, who's on the CD, and it's Blessed Assurance. And I looked at his face once, and his face was alight. And I thought, there is a little three-year-old who's learning how to worship the one true God. Guys, let's stop being cool. Let's stop being, I want a foot in both camps. Let's stop being people who think I can be a Sunday Christian and do what I like for the rest of the week. Let's start being people who day by day worship God. Because you see, when we get to chapter 5, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat upon the throne a scroll written on both sides. This is the best I could do for a scroll. Okay. Who is worthy to open it? Nobody, they cried. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Verse 3, no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. John says in verse 4, chapter 5, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see the lion of the tribe of Judah. That phrase is, is one that describes the one who will save. I used the word Messiah yesterday. And, and the Messiah was the one who was the one who could, the only one who could save. And therefore, look what it says, the Messiah figure, the saviour figure, the one who could save us from our sin. Look, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. What was the scroll about? The scroll was about having made a judgment. Let's see who will be in the future plans of God and his Son and his Spirit, the Trinity. Let's see who has the control over who is going to be with God forever. 
And there was only one person who was worthy to open it. And he was the one who was on the cross. The lamb who was slain, who looked as if he had been slain. Read it carefully. And he could open it up, and there, written on it, Dave Fenton. And if you know Jesus, your name's there too. And he has the control over who's going to be there and who isn't. And if your name is not on that scroll, by the end of this week, in God's name, and I mean it that way, do something about it. If you want to see heaven, as John saw it in chapter 4, if you want to get that glimpse of the future and the glory and the eternity, I hope I see you there. And we'll have the most marvellous celebration. Because he will be there. He will be there. These are so important things, friends. They are so, so important. They are much more important, dare I say this, Joe, if I'm really rude, than any seminar, any choice, any day out, any, anything that you do this week. And I really hope you have fun and you have a brilliant time and I'm having a brilliant time. But guys, if you don't know the Lamb... You're going to a lost eternity. And it ain't fun. It ain't a giant party with everybody with funny horns on and everybody drinking and having a bit of an orgy and it's great, isn't it? Can you imagine what that's like for an eternity? That's foul. Trust in the Lamb who opened the scroll. Can I pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this glimpse of heaven that John, writing to his persecuted friends, had. And what hope that must have brought to them. And as we face a culture that tries to lure us away and say there's much more fun to be had doing this or that or the other. Teach us that here is the very pivotal point of life and the universe. Where we will be for eternity. And I pray by your spirit you will work in the lives of all of us here this week, whether it be leaders or not, or young people or whoever's here, that this question is just the most important of all. As to whether or not we're, we're going to be there. When our life on this planet is finished and we're through with pain and suffering and stress and difficulty and tension, yeah, and the joys of life that God gives us. We will be in a place of total joy and total worship because we will be with the living Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. And our names will be written in his book of life. And so we'll be there. Lord, give us perspective, I pray, and help us not to shove this. How Satan would love if someone who's here this morning is thinking right now, 
I know I need to do something about this, but the time they go through that door, they're thinking, no, not today, I'll do it some other time. Well, Lord, teach us that earthquakes aren't selective. And our day could be any day. And we need to face him now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.